Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. In all my years as both a male model and world best doctor, nothing has prepared me for this. I'm the quirky one the audience will come to love. Is everyone clear of the hospital? Yes, McHandsome Face. Usually I'd yell at you for calling me that, but this is a turning point in the series, so instead I'm going to smile at you as a single tear rolls down my very ruggedly handsome cheek. Do you think we're going to make it? I don't know. Some psychopath rigged this man with explosives, and if his heart stops, these explosives go off. And our hearts stop with it. What do we have to do? Scalpel. Pump 20 cc's of that heart juice stuff into the IV. Do you know what you're doing? Oh my god, ask me that again, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna detonate the bomb on purpose. Okay, Curious George over here, let me work. God damn it. Okay, jeez, pumping. Mr. McCranky Pants, more like it. Oh my god. We're losing him. Hit him with the electric ping pong paddles. Clear! It's not working. This is a wreck. May the ghost of Meredith Grey have mercy on us all. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I'm your host, who once dunked a basketball. I'm not going to let you forget that. Uh, Kyle Moore. And joining me, my spunky sidekick, also me. I have so many issues with what you just said. I am f***ing livid. But yeah, I'm Kyle's mental health, and I've dunked twice. So suck on that, you jolly green nobody. That's that's untrue. Is not. Is so. Nuh-uh. Yeah. Yeah, well, you smell. You are not wrong. Guys, before we get going, I just want to give a shout out to Shania for the idea for this week's intro. Um, she didn't have anything to plug, so this is really sweet. She wanted me to challenge you guys to go out of your way to do one random act of kindness uh, this week. Dude, that's so sweet. It's the sweetest fucking thing I've ever heard. Right? Yeah, thanks, Shania. Um, if you guys want to get a shout out on the podcast, all you got to do is follow us on Instagram at Life's Rec Podcast. Answer the question box on our story leading up to the release of the episode. Uh, and you can get an idea brought to life for an intro and get a little plug on the podcast. And I, and I don't care what it is. It's like if you want to plug a book that you're reading, uh, your YouTube channel, 
uh, a store in your hometown, your OnlyFans, a, a peanut butter brand that you like. I don't care. I'll I'll throw the plug up on the podcast because why not? You know, it's fun, and I can I can do whatever I want. Um, also, guys, hey, uh, I, da, 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 da. I got this. So we covered this last. Yeah, week. we agreed that this is kind of my my shtick. This is my thing, dude. I. Don't I? What, what are you, what are what you are doing? You? Stop it. Fine. Oh, my God. Do the sponsor part. Jeez. Oh, thanks, man. Really appreciate that. Uh, where was I? Guys, have you ever heard of Tether? The men's peer support social network that's available on both Apple and Android. The platform with thousands of men connecting and supporting one another in an authentic and judgment-free environment. A place that compiles mental health resources and curates mental health-related dope-ass fucking content. Like, you know, this podcast. Literally, the only drawback from the platform is that other me also is on that platform. But even still, go download Tether in the App Store or Google Play Store today. Start connecting. You know, I was going to give you some shit, but that was, uh, that was pretty good. Why do you sound shocked? Speaking of things that are, that are just the best, you, you want to know what I love? Mirrors, uh, car windows, other people's eyes so that you can okay. see your own reflection. Like... <laughs> Uh, Big Brother Canada Twitter. Okay, that that was kind of cool. You gotta you gotta give me that. That was pretty funny to wake up to. Yeah, thank thank God that Kyle Moore is like the most generic n- name ever. Hey, give your ego a little boost this morning. To be honest, I don't even remember what I was talking about. God, I am going to, I'm going to so quickly take over this podcast the second that I get the chance. Okay, wow. Um, yes. Uh, so I was going to say something I love is shooting the shit with the boys. Okay, a given. Um, but this week on the podcast, I got to do that. But these buddies of mine just so happen, you know funny coincidence uh just so happened to also be working within the field of clinical psychology a couple modern day fraser cranes better looking though better looking i love that show yeah of course you do this week on the podcast i'm joined by my friends alan keon and jeremy forsyth in 2016 jeremy earned a bachelor of science at the university of toronto as an undergraduate he developed a keen interest in all things psychology and philosophy one topic that he became more focused on is this relationship between people's worldviews and vulnerability to mental illness. Currently, Jeremy is pursuing a master's in clinical psychology at York University. Alan also earned a Bachelor of Science, but in 2019 from the University of Toronto, St. George, uh, Alan developed an interest in clinical psychology and philosophy while studying under the likes of John Vervacki and Jordan Peterson. Alan is interested in existential psychology, classic literature, and philosophy, and his research interests lie in emotional intelligence and emotion-focused therapy. Boys, man, it's been too long. Um, I wish we could have done this in person, you know, had a couple beers while we did it, but I'm so stoked to have you guys on the podcast. So uh, we'll start out pretty easy. How you doing? Oh, man, that is a loaded question. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Like... (laughs) I think uh, it's 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 on and off, dude. Like it's really on and off. Like over the past year, uh, you know, there's been a lot of like ups and downs. Obviously, the, the environment is like kind of out of control. But uh, I would say overall, I'm pretty good. I'm able to sort of like cope with the stress. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you know, every I always there's always a bad day here and there. But uh, and and. But I think I've I've learned to effectively cope with the stress over the years. I think that's that's like the nice sort of like diplomatic version of it. I'll, I'll go I'll go into de- <laughs> I'll go into depth a little bit of yes, I have to echo uh, Jeremy. I think he's right. There are more good days I think for us as we're engaged in what we're doing than bad days. 
um the bad days would be when it feels like it's too much you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like when the tasks that you have to do in front of you just kind of mount up and you let yourself maybe look too far ahead into the future you look two three weeks ahead in your schedule and you think yeah i don't know if this is like necessarily doable and like anxiety starts seeping into the relaxation moments and then yeah it kind of yeah especially right now i find that little things can kind of take over your your whole state pretty quickly just because of how stressful everything already is i feel like a lot of people are kind of on that hairline trigger and those one little things um can kind of throw you for a loop which which sucks and from my own experience is definitely is definitely the case um so yeah i mean i'm I'm really excited to have you guys on the podcast today because first of all you know two guys that i know from toronto um but also two guys who are going into this field that interests me a lot and and obviously as people who are starting to um practice and see patients this is obviously like a very you know there's a learning curve and you guys are experiencing a lot within the the psychology world right now um to kind of get us started though i'd love to get hear a little bit of your your backgrounds why you guys wanted to go into psychology and kind of what led to you guys being here today so we'll start with jeremy yeah sure so you know i started my undergrad in uh 2011 actually kind of a long time ago and uh, i was at u of t And, you know, that first year, I, like most, you know, undergrads in their first year, didn't know what the hell I was doing. (laughs) I was taking like the most random courses, dude, like astronomy and anthropology, just like trying to like feel my way through academia and like going like, what am I really interested in? You know, I finally, over the course of like a year or two, like really sort of fell into the role of like wanting to learn more about philosophy wanting to learn more about psychology. Those were my two babies. Those were like my passions. Mm -hmm. And uh, mainly uh, I would say psychology, just because I'm fascinated by, you know, the human. Uh, It's one of the most complex like things that we know in the known universe. And, um, and then also on the, uh, in the same vein, I, I, I don't know how deep you want me to go here, but Please. One of these sort of like axioms of like who I am as a person is like my desire to alleviate the suffering of other people, you know, mm-hmm. in whatever way that I can, not to like mm-hmm. virtue signal or anything like that. Right. Um, but it's just, it's just something that has always sat with me, something I've always wanted to strive for, mm-hmm. um, which I think actually comes from this philosophical background of like analyzing suffering, analyzing sort of the existential aspects Mm -hmm. of human nature, analyzing, you know, uh, the things that you can't take away from human life, you know, death, birth, suffering, these sorts of things. And uh, yeah, so I just, you know, put everything into clinical psychology doing like, uh, so I double majored in philosophy and psychology in grad. And uh, I was fascinated by existentialism. Uh, which is like a philosophical school of thought that like deals with the givens of existence, things that like every single person has to experience universally, things like we're all born in like Mm -hmm. a specific time in a specific place, you know, you can't choose your birth. Um, uh, You know, we all die, we all have to suffer, we all have like the freedom to choose who we're going to be, these sorts of things, uh, like fascinated me. And I came to sort of at least my own philosophical conclusion that uh, the only thing that I can really fall back on is that suffering is bad. Mm. Uh, Hmm. And so I like, 
I guess like use that as the infrastructure for like my purpose in life, which is Hmm. to alleviate the suffering of other people, which would be like, I guess, good, you know? Um, (laughs) No, that's that's (laughs) really, that's really interesting. That's a really cool way to look at it. We'll, we'll get more into that in in a little bit. Uh, Alan, how about you? Uh, So myself, it was, it's, it didn't start off so philosophically. Um, it was definitely good over bad. So I knew I knew I wanted to go to, towards help. Mm. Uh, and so I did what everyone that enters a U of T undergrad does, which is think I'm going to get into med school. Uh, and I took, <laughs> <laughs> I took a bunch buy, of... Buy a Canada goose jacket and think you're going to get into med school. <laughs> exactly. <we> <laughs> uh, guilty. So <laughs> I did I did that. Um, and I, I also had to fill out a humanities thing, which had always been not a passion of mine. So I took the psychology course and I ended up getting some like unbelievably high mark. Mm-hmm. And I did the thing that science kids do, which is see the high mark and correlate it with, I'll probably like do well at this. Mm-hmm. So t- I have to be honest, like I, I did get lucky to an extent, um, <clears throat> excuse me, which is like, I sort of just took a shot at it. I said, I mean, I really enjoy doing this course. And if I don't do it, I think I'm going to regret it. I'm going to regret the choices that I don't make. So I went, I went into it and uh, I'm outing myself, I guess, politically here, but I took a course with uh, Jordan Peterson Mm -hmm. and uh, that was sort of the, I mean, he was tossing some concepts at me, Jungian and Freudian and existential, uh, philosophy and psychology and i had never heard of these things before and i found myself not knowing what to do i was like this this isn't the multiple choice that Mm -hmm. i'm used to it's not asking me like a b c and so that's i mean basically long story short a little bit of philosophy came into it changed my life and here (laughs) here we are in clinical psych i knew that it wasn't going to be medical school i knew that i liked this forum of conversation i enjoy talking to you and that's uh, enjoy talking to people and that's mm-hmm. what i want to do uh on a daily basis it doesn't get me tired at all yeah when, when did that for both of you i mean that that desire to help like when did you guys first recognize that because that's obviously not something that everybody will will kind of get to um you know at what point in your lives did you say like yeah this is this is something that's a part of who i am fundamentally oh man uh such a good question like, I, I I don't know necessarily exactly how far back it goes. Um, I I know for sure that that desire was definitely strengthened, you know, during that like long stretch of time from like twenty to twenty six when I had those philosophical musings. Um. But like, I think it goes back much further to like my my Christian upbringing, mm. I guess, and really identifying with like uh, the arch- like the Christ archetype. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not I'm not like religious anymore, but but like I guess that archetype, like growing up, you know what I mean, and and having and like seeing this archetype over and over and over again, and being told that you know dying for people's sins and dying for people's suffering right, yeah. miraculously helping people 
just I guess like just seeped so far into my being that it's like something that I just act out now. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I would I would say that's probably where it derives from. Mm, interesting. Okay. Oh, that's a <laughs> that sort of uh, sets up me to sort of give you a lamer answer <laughs> for me that was beautiful <laughs> sorry um that was that was really a, great <laughs> it was uh, mine is more like when i found out that it's myself it uh, it's when i realized i really lose myself which is a little bit uh paradoxical i lose myself in what i'm doing and what i'm thinking about these concepts um mm-hmm. so I become a part of a greater whole and I don't see Alan as Alan anymore. And I, you know, go into this vortex and time isn't time anymore. And so for six or eight hours or 10 hours, I'm able to do something without getting the least bit tired, uh, without uh, being exhausted and actually loving it. And that flow experience sort of coming up out of nowhere. And, and the more I was mining that ore, it was just like, it was just giving me gold over and over again. And it's like, that's, that i mean this has got to be it i don't know i mean Mm. could there potentially be something else Uh, we can't write off that potentiality but i think for now i'm pretty happy that it's working over and over again and uh, Mm. i identify with it as strongly as you can nice yeah I, i mean i would say it's funny i really resonate with that idea of kind of finding that flow um, it, it was like even, even half an hour ago, I was sitting on my bed. I was looking over that email that you had sent me. I was kind of doing a little bit of, you know, packing away a little research on, on the different kinds of therapies and stuff, which we'll, we'll get into. Um, and, and I thought of it and I was just like sitting there and I'd had kind of, as I said, one of those busy kind of blase days. And I was like, you know what? I really like I, I on the surface, I don't feel like I really want to talk to people tonight. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, yeah. I could just sit down and chill and do nothing. But then, you know, I really thought about it. And when I'm on these calls, when I'm talking with people, when I'm learning about this world, you do. It is like everything else. Nothing else is mattering. Like you just kind of really zone in. So I completely get that. You can like I could work on a podcast for six hours and, and it'd be like a blink of an eye. And you're like, oh, wow. All right. Like it's you're passionate you know, about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I the reason that I wanted to ask you guys about um, when you recognize that, um, that desire to help other people, I think that a lot of people from what I've seen and through my myself, I have found a lot of solace through healing my own pain through he- heal- helping with, you know, talk through others pain um, with the podcast with people who reach out to me through DM or, or whatever it may be. Um, speaking about my experiences and, and helping other people and kind of making that connection is something that, that helps me heal. Um, so I was kind of curious if either of you have ever had that kind of mental illness, mental health background where you've experienced that pain that now you help others deal with. And I mean, feel free to jump in at any point if, if what I'm saying uh, sparks something for you. For me personally, it was, uh, well, originally my background is Persian. So that's, that's, you know, there's this big move that happens and you come to Canada and the, uh, for anyone who's been through the immigration process, uh, it's, it's sort of like, it's sort of like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, sort of like, uh, yeah, if you know, you know, sort of thing, Mm. um, which is, it takes, I, I don't know who told me an estimate of it takes about 10 years to sort of get really fully settled in as a, actually full-fledged Canadian citizen and I was thinking back it's been about 15 or so years now they were fully right (laughs) it took about 10 years until 
the anxieties and the worries and the uh, the depression, which I may not have necessarily experienced on a day-to-day basis that I identified with, but it's constantly sort of low flame hanging in the background where you think, crap, are we going to be like fine? Right, is it, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, is there, is, is there like a net under us? Like, are we okay? And for, for someone to think about that all the time, um, it's not necessarily entirely pleasant. And, uh, you know, you might be able to see why I tend to go now towards more, you know, existential thoughts and like wanting to talk with people about these is because you do start to think about the givens of existence. Like, what does it mean even for me to be doing this? Like, why did we move here? Like, Mm -hmm. sure. I mean, like, yeah, you want a better life and you want a safer life, but apart from all of that, what does that even mean? What is a good life? Like, Mm -hmm. why am I struggling all this time? Wouldn't it have just been so much easier to just hang out with people that I knew way back in the day? But so why, so you really start to think about the toil that you're going through and then you want to help it make sense for others as well. And so that's, that's sort of the way I choose to look at it. Yeah, I get that for sure. That Wow. Actually, you know what? I don't get that. I'm not gonna pretend to get that. I get, you know, the, the concept of it, but the actual lived experience, I could never relate to that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, thank you. Um, So I guess, I guess I'll jump in here. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, me and Alan and I have talked about this a lot, like in our offices, we always talk to each other about these sorts of things. So bit of a flex, but that's fine. (laughs) <laughs> hey you're invited dude you don't right, have hey, your listen. own office kyle what the, dude welcome to my office this is <laughs> it's the, nicer the whole, than our the office. home office yeah fair enough fair enough you at least have like a fridge and a bathroom dude right. yeah. <laughs> um but but yeah like alan and i've talked about this a lot like i've heard his story he's heard my story and uh although on the surface there there's not much to re- like there's not much uh resemblance you know what i mean i think on a deeper level there there is there is a sort of like existential resemblance i know we keep bringing up existentialism but it's a common theme between me and alan to talk about this stuff Mm -hmm. but um i guess for me i mean i like you know i don't want to go on for 30 minutes or whatever but yeah i've had my like fair share of suffering uh you know i've had a lot of like uh debilitating health issues um like and like it's it's gotten to a point now where like I'm almost expecting uh, the future to be filled with like you know suffering that derives from medical issues. Uh, like I have a heart condition. I've had like issues with my tendons. I've had like stomach issues. Like you know where I've had to have procedures and stuff like that. Just all uh, that fun stuff, eh? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 great. But um, like simultaneously, you know, alongside that, there's there's been a lot of mental illness in my family. And, um, I won't go too deep into it just yet, but, uh, but definitely contending with that suffering and like really dealing with it. I've gotten to like dark places, you know what I mean? And like, Mm -hmm. I've, I've like entered the abyss, you know, so to speak. And like Mm -hmm. felt as though existence was a type of hell or like a punishment Mm -hmm. of sorts. And, And that's something that, you know, even though I'm sort of out of that abyss, it's still like a thought that like, you know, rings through my mind from time to time. And mm-hmm. one of the things again, that I want to do is like, again, help, help anybody that feels that life is a hell mm-hmm. and sort of help them through that. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
that's powerful stuff, man. I, and I, and I do understand that, uh, that life's a hell kind of thing. And I think so many people who have suffered with mental health issues do, um, and let's talk about existentialism for a second, because for me personally, it has been one of the the scariest things that I've dealt with throughout my mental health journey. Um, it, it's been one of those things that uh, with OCD and with some anxiety, kind of this really great, fun one-two punch, um, you know, the OCD kind of brings up some thoughts, which lead to other thoughts, which lead to other thoughts. You kind of go down these really crazy rabbit holes, and then the anxiety kind of like just keeps that wheel spinning pretty you know, and it gets all crazy and out of hand and you feel this out of this sense of being out of control and for people i know in my experience that can be a tough thing to come to grips with that we there is no control there is nothing that you know we can only do so much our level of control is so minuscule in the in the grand scheme of things um and so i'm curious like what was that process with with accepting existentialism with learning more about it were you guys always as open and willing to talk about it was it something that caused anxiety like talk me through a little bit of your experience with existentialism oh yeah dude i it still causes me anxiety it's still like i almost feel at 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 times like i'm just you know clinging to existentialist thought just Mm -hmm. as a way out of like (laughs) the anxiety just as a way out of uh you know, existence as a, as sort of a hell. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's something I continually contend with and something I continually grapple with, uh, on a day-to-day basis. Uh, but I feel like it's offered me a lot of solace, a lot of like control and a lot of responsibility on myself, as opposed to like, as opposed to living in a world where everything is out of your control, mm-hmm. existentialism sort of shifts it around there's a copernicus shift and it gives you that control back you know you're in control of your life you got to take responsibility for certain things you know what i mean and uh and i think that that can help a lot of people it won't help everyone it's not a perspective for everybody but mm-hmm. i think like really shifting that and giving the person back their their responsibility and and their the control over their life can do wonders for a lot of people i think but there's also i also think um and what you're saying, there's, I, I really like you saying it won't help everybody because you're, you're talking about uh, anxiety and OCD. And if someone comes in and they're having, for example, to a therapy session and they're having pretty bad bout of anxiety, yeah, it would be straight up irresponsible to toss existential concepts at them. Um, mm-hmm. It'd be like, just, hey, man, just get a grip. Just get a grip and realize that we're all going to die, that you're alone, that it's all essentially meaningless. And like, I mean, the the dude is going to be like, what are you talking? I mean, I'm just, I mean, my heart's racing and, you know, I'd probably leave around that point, I think. Exactly. So uh, I think, and Jeremy and I fight about this all the time, you know, in a very academic fashion, we sort of have different fears within within, uh, existentialism that we're sort of drawn towards. I think, you know, whether it's meaninglessness, isolation, freedom, or death, um, we talk about this all the time. And for myself, it might have to be freedom, uh, might have to be isolation. He's talked about meaninglessness. I know his research focuses on that and death. And so it's not it's not like one cookie cutter package, but just the sort of realization that ultimately, even us two who like think about it all the time, and we sort of have a very academic reason to even do it. Mm-hmm. We can't get out of it. 
Like if I really let myself at 2 a.m. sit there and think about it long enough, I'm going to start hyperventilating. And that's just me yeah. being honest. Like that, it will happen. The witching hour. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. It's funny that you bring that up, Alan. Like, first of all, I'm in complete agreement with you. You know, existentialism is not for everybody. And I think that's why you and I, uh, um, you know, promote the idea, at least within like our cohort of like being an integrative therapist someone that draws from multiple frameworks that can help people uh, in different ways, right? For someone who, yeah, who is suffering from OCD, existentialism is probably the last thing on their mind, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so I, I'm full in full agreement with you there. And uh, as for like the ability to step away from existential thought, I can't say I'm, uh, I, I'm with you on that. I can't stop thinking about like these things. I even if I try, you know, in a way, it's sort of rumination, I'll just be laying there in bed. And like, I can't turn it off. I just fall mm. asleep. You know what I mean? How how deep would you say and, and this is a bit, I, I feel like this question answers itself a little bit. But like, how? I don't even know if I want to ask it, I was gonna say, like, how deep can existentialism go within the actual psychology community because like I, I figure it's one of those things that there are only so many conclusions that you can come to about everything and and basically if you're going to talk about existentialism you are talking about everything and you know how much can you boil it down I guess there's an infinite ways in which you could boil it down to just one thing like I don't know I guess that's just kind of like how have you guys seen people different approaches to existentialism I get it. I get it. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll simply say, you know, without going off on a tangent is that existentialism is still highly limited, right? Again, I don't think any specific framework is, uh, provides enough. It's not every, any specific framework doesn't do the depth of the human condition justice, right? I think you need all of them. It's like a, it's like a collage. It's like a sort of a stained glass window. You, you, you build, you take all of these frameworks and it, it, the, the picture is the human, right? Mm. So I think at the end of the day, yeah, existentialism is limited uh, vastly. You know what I mean? I don't think it would help someone necessarily who uh, has like a biological uh, uh, schizophrenia, for example. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, something that I always want to make sure that people know is that, you know, through the, I guess, propagation of movies and everything and how it's portrayed uh, in, I guess, pop culture and the zeitgeist. If you look at something like therapy and we're talking like maybe the highest level, I guess you've done your due diligence, you've been trained and you're now a doctor in psychology. Um, it's a completely different model than like the medical field where, the medical field is I broke my leg um, and I, I really need help. And all of the medical field goes, well, there's one procedure for that. Right. And there's truly just one procedure for that. Whereas if you come in and you go, I don't know what I want to do with my life. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many different ways can you come at that? You can come at it through like a cognitive framework where you talk about your thoughts. You can come at it through like an emotional way where you talk about, oh, how does that feel? You know, describe how that feels. Mm. You can come at it existentially and just go right into the deep end. But like you said, uh, to, to speak to your point as well, it's such an all-encompassing thing where the second mm -hmm. you sort of broach the topic, you're immediately talking about the greatest issues in human existence you're immediately yeah. also talking about death 
So (laughs) it's uncomfortable. It's not nice and cute and cuddly and doesn't fit into a a package that people want to even talk about all the time. And that unfortunately has caused its discussion to be a little bit on the edges the past 40, 50 years, at least, Mm -hmm. at least in, in my knowledge, in my estimation. Where would you guys say, I mean, thinking about existentialism, like that's an element of psychology that I wouldn't immediately jump to when I think of, you know, kind of like how you approach certain, you know, how when people come in and talk to you about certain things that are going on in their life, the last thing that I'm kind of thinking is looking at it from this, this giant framework. Um, what, what do you guys feel are some, some misconceptions that have kind of been played out, whether it is through media or just kind of word of mouth per se, or people who don't really know the, the scope of what they're talking about, um, misconceptions around the field of psychology that you guys have witnessed? So that's a, that's a great question. That's something I think about as well, because it really affects how when some, when I meet, for example, someone new, um, there's always a question of when do I choose to tell them that that's the field I'm in? Mm. Because it's so important in, in the media and it's been portrayed since, you know, forever. When you think of psychologists, you think of uh, a cigar, white beard, someone laying back. And so Freud and, right. <laughs> and it's, it's difficult because it's so hard to have people not think that when they're saying something to me, I am not analyzing them. That's just, that's just, that's not what's happening in my head. So that's one of the things is people are immediately on guard mm. um, when they're, when they're talking to me, because it's like, I don't want to give him that nugget that he will later use to like, uh, you know, put in his conceptualization of who I am. And I don't want to give him puzzle pieces. And it's just like, Man, I'll be honest with you. I, a, I'm not interested in doing that with everyone. I'm not at work. <laughs> right. B, and this is something probably Jeremy can can speak to. That's not what our work even is. Um, and Jeremy, I don't know if you want to you want to go off of that as well. I know I know you're passionate about that. Yeah, um, I I definitely agree. And like, yeah, I've yeah, exactly. I've gotten to this point where I like almost don't even want to say like what I'm like pursuing. Uh, just because, yeah, there's so many like preconceived notions of what that entails. Like they automatically sort of, uh, you know, label you with like all these different things that you're doing. Like I've had numerous times met new people and go like, oh, like I'm pursuing clinical psychology and right off the cusp, they're like, you're analyzing me, aren't you? Right, right. And like, I joke around with it. Like, I don't really care. You know what I mean? I think it's kind of funny, but at the same time, it's like, I, I'm just chilling. You know what I mean? I'm not really doing that. And again, that's not really what we do. Uh, I would say maybe another misconception is like that psychotherapy itself is merely selling advice as a product, Mm. right? And that's not necessarily what it is. In fact, advice rarely plays a part in psychotherapy. Uh, You know, as a therapist, I mean, again, it depends on what framework you're coming at uh, or like what framework you're using within the therapeutic setting. But a lot of it is like, being there for the clients and providing empathy and really trying to understand who they are, uh, who they are as a person and sort of like what, what the, like the sort of the depth of their uh, presenting concerns, right. As well as providing sort of an authentic relationship for you to, to uh, you know, the therapist and the client to sort of like delve deeper into understanding what's going on in the client's life. And, you know, again, that's just like, a fraction of what therapy is. 
Um, but it's rarely advice giving. I mean, at least in my experience, I don't think I've even really offered advice to, to the clients that I've seen client. I've only seen one client. Keep that in mind. <laughs> it's interesting, Jeremy, to hear you say that um, clinical psychology, that you're not in the advice giving department. Uh, like that's not, you know, you're not peddling advice. Um, and, and to be a bit anecdotal for a sec here, um, I know that uh, the moment that kind of changed my life that that made me, you know, go down this kind of try to get mentally healthier, go down this path um, was I went to a therapist at, uh, at Ryerson as part of, you know, they had a, a really great, uh, therapy program there. Um, and, uh, and basically I, I went and saw this therapist, um, and I sat down and I basically, it was one of the first people that I'd ever opened up to, but all the stuff that had went on in my life, basically just really poured everything out to her. Um, and it was just kind of one of those things where like, you kind of got that vibe from her, like everything I'd seen psychologists and, and therapists before, but I hadn't really clicked with anybody yet. And so with her, you know, from the first few minutes, I really got this like good vibe from her. I opened up to her and instead of, uh, which other therapists had before, instead of trying to kind of just say, Hey, here's almost like the fix. And, and thus to me, reinforcing the idea that I was in some way innately broken. Um, she kind of sat back and was like, you know what? It sounds really hard. And, and, and it was so casual and it was so light and easy. And it was just like years of all of this weight was just kind of like a little bit of it was kind of chipped away because somebody kind of validated that pain. I'd never really wanted to open up to my family because I was worried what they would, you know, what they would think they provided me with this incredible life. And now I'm this miserable, depressed, you know, angsty teenager with all these mental health things going on. I'm like, oh, that's not fair to them. I didn't want to burden my friends or anything. And to have her validate that and just say, hey, you know what? Yeah, it sounds kind of shitty. It was like, yeah, yeah, thank you. Like, that's that's exactly what it is. Um, so, yeah, I'm just kind of curious, like, what would you guys, you know, how do you go about guiding somebody and how do you guys go about the process of being uh, a psychologist, a therapist, you know, when it comes to seeing patients and, and hopefully giving them a little bit of that sense that I just hopefully somehow explained? Quickly, just to like speak on your experience, I think what you what you said is super powerful, which is sometimes you just need to have someone else acknowledge the suffering that you've been through. Mm -hmm. You know, we go through our lives carrying all this suffering around every single one of us. We all bear this suffering on our shoulders. And, you know, a lot of times it remains just with us. And there's a lot of power in being able to share that your story of suffering with another person and have them sit there and go, you know what? Yeah. You suffered mm -hmm. and that's fine. Like it's not fine really because you suffered, but I acknowledge that you suffered right. and, and you're still valuable. You're still, you're still a human and you're still important. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. There's something so powerful about another person acknowledging your suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I just wanted to emphasize totally. that. And the other thing too is not, uh, and what I've seen a lot of is not saying, oh, I complete, I get it completely, which is which I'm guilty of sometimes. People say certain things and I'm like, I totally understand. And sometimes it just slips out to the, you know, to the detriment sometimes of the conversation or that that bond. But just saying like, listen, I don't understand really what you've went through. But yeah, that sounds really hard is a really powerful thing. And, and it's not something that I think you need a, a psychology degree to do for the people in your life sometimes. Which, no, you definitely, yeah. you don't, you do not need a psychology degree. And I think it's so, it's so important that you're saying that about um, 
just the normal conversation and the bond of the conversation being the the need to sort of want to reach out and say no I totally get it which we mm-hmm. all do by the way Jeremy and I still do that uh quite often no I totally get it like that's fine mm-hmm. but that's I would say those are the things we get um uh trained on right in in school are those little minute things so those are the things that they tell us to sort of be aware of and be in the moment about when we're in session with a client is to really be aware that what's happening in the moment is like sort of sacred Mm -hmm. and to not say uh to not i guess minimize their feeling and their existence what they've been through in their lives if they're really hurt because of an argument with their friend that's just as valid in their mind and in their mode of being as someone who has lost a parent and I'm not, I'm not sort of the judge sitting there saying, bro, I just saw someone last hour who lost their parent. And you're talking to me about being like, kind of sad that like Melissa isn't speaking to you or something. And it's just like, that's not for me to decide what I have to do is sort of, and that's, that's really the healing stuff in session. It's not me talking about your thoughts or emotions or whatever. It's me understanding, like you said, that's why I like the, the anecdote you brought up. It's someone going, yeah, it's, I, I understand not, not experience wise. I can never be Kyle, mm-hmm. but I can attempt to get a flavor of what you've been through and really tell you, shit, man, that, that was bad. I'm sorry yeah. that, that, that's <laughs> what went through, uh, that moment in your life. And I acknowledge that. And just, just also to add on to that, like Alan was basically saying, you know, you can't compare suffering, right? You can't, especially as a therapist, but I think that this would be helpful for a lot of people to do as well as is sort of er, uh, eradicating that, that process that we all do of like comparing each other's suffering, Mm -hmm. right? Oh, my suffering's worse than your suffering. Like as therapists, I think it's important for us to learn that, you know, suffering is, is universal in that everyone feels it, but the degree of suffering is, is again, it's relative. Mm. So, so that's something so important to recognize is, you know, that lack of judgment, mm. that lack of judgment. Uh, it's huge yeah. being a therapist. And, and also, I mean, I think the flip side as well, too, somebody always has it worse. You know, I hear that a lot of the time, people really invalidating their suffering by saying, Oh, but I know somebody else has it worse. They are the they are the people who, you know, in Alan's example, who it's like, I know Melissa's not talking to me and that makes me really upset, but I know that somebody just lost their dad probably somewhere in the world. And who am I to be upset about this thing when really, I mean, it, it seems like all you'd be doing is just pushing your suffering down. You're kind of compounding it essentially. And the more and more that you do that, all of a sudden that I feel like that's kind of where some trauma comes in, in the sense of just like a ton of unsolved pain right and it's it's uh, one of the things i mean that that's always been admirable to me when people do it because the I, I understand and recognize that at the core of it there is this there's this drive to want to make their friend feel better mm-hmm. uh if it's just even friends not therapists talking um and we've all done it and i i want to stress i continue to do it i, I don't want to come across as some like saint who's got i continue to do it but I just have gotten better at catching myself doing it a little bit more. Right. That's, I think that's the difference. And 
it's it's like the whole like when you don't you're out with a friend you get some food and you don't finish it and they go hey man there are people starving and it's like that's absolutely true but because like this portion this is completely rel- like relative to this moment in time you know what i mean we can take care of that with a different avenue we can come at that through so many different means but that's the thing people want to just reach out and say someone always has it worse exactly like you said like mm-hmm. don't you think that you should stop moping like come on man like there's so yeah. many people who like can't even read or can't even see or can't and it's like that's yeah, fair but then what am i supposed to just completely shove everything down become numb and say someone has it worse what kind of living yeah. experience is that well, I mean, and we're we're really living in the time of somebody always has it worse. We're in Corona times. Everyone's there's always somebody who has it worse, and yeah. everybody right yeah. now is experiencing this level of sadness, isolation, depression. You know, however you'd want to characterize it, and whatever that they're going through uniquely. But yeah, there's always there's always somebody who's losing their grandmother, and they they're having to watch her her you know over Skype. Like, and now those things exist, but at the same time, like it, it is, it's, it's a perspective. And I've always kind of thought about it, like, you know, that perspective thing to really kind of take you out of some, some out of control thinking. Sometimes, um, you kind of stop yourself a little bit, you, you kind of slow the, the raging horse, but I think also sometimes it, it almost is weaponized against yourself kind of thing. This, this self detrimental mindset of, well, I can't, I can't express myself and I can't show that this is bothering me because I don't want to be the bad guy because I'm feeling bad. It's an interesting kind of, um, I don't know if you'd call it a paradox, I guess, but just kind of like that looped thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, on on the flip side, you know, you guys talked a little bit about um, having patience and, and how you guys go about that. But how are you guys feeling when you're seeing patients? I know, Alan, we talked very briefly and I said, we, I said, I got to hold this because I, I want to save it for the episode um, before we started about, you know, the idea that, you are very much in control of this person's most intimate, maybe scary thoughts, and they are confiding in you when maybe you're the only person who they're confiding these things in. I mean, how does it play on your mental health? Like, What's going through your mind when, when you know that you have to be careful of every word you say and, and your actions are going to have an impact on this person? I'm just kind of curious from that, that therapist point of view. Do you want the real version or do you want like the nice uh, diplomatic oh, version? Come on. I mean, you, you, you know. <laughs> I think, Jeremy, you want to go for I think, did you have the most recent session today or did I? Um, my session was at was from 12 to 1. I think yours is after mine. Okay, go. Right? You've had some time to digest. You go first. I mean, I thought today's session was good, but so it didn't take too much of a toll on me. But I've had, again, I can't get into details. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, I can't, I can't say, you know, you know, I mean, I can't say too much about it. I can say that it's, there are certainly times in, in, you know, the therapeutic arena where <laughs> it takes a huge toll on me because one, I'm an apprentice. I am an amateur. I want to stress that I have had one client, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like I am just an apprentice i'm a, i'm an amateur i'm i'm learning this stuff and i i have to i'm still self critical about not knowing a lot of the things that i think i should know or i expect myself to know as someone who has someone's not life in my hands it's not really the same it's not that's not right to say that it's more like again what alan is saying that they're com- you might be the only person they're confiding in right and they're putting their trust in you that you can help them right and so so it's this weird, like, 
I jump back and forth between like, oh, I'm, I'm an apprentice. So, I, you know, it's okay. I'm going to be, you know, not hard on myself because I don't know these things yet. I'm being taught these things. But at the same time, it's like, uh, but this is a person, right? And I mean a lot to this person in this person's life and one slip up and who knows what could happen. So it does like, it does definitely take a toll on me sometimes. Uh, yeah. I, I personally um, find that I need to do something else. Um, I, I think, I think it's also I, like Jeremy said, we've been seeing one client for we're in second year of masters. And then I think in the PhD program, we'll start to see multiple at once, but so far, I mean, I started in November and it's been all right. But even before that, I've, you know, my friends and our mutual friends that we all know uh, would say that the, the change in myself has become like I've been quieter. Like I just, and I don't know what that, I don't know whether to attribute that to a negative or a positive. I've just been much quieter. Whereas like there's some things where I would jump in and want to talk about all the time. Uh, it's almost like, I have to conserve energy um, from certain discussions because I know that uh, so much of my energy is going to be put into the therapy session. Mm -hmm. Right. So now I basically only have room to confide for like my close family and Mm -hmm. my best, best friends. So that's Mm -hmm. what's, you know, so like if those three or four people like want to talk to me, perfect. I'll talk to them, but it's, I've necessarily had to cut down and it's so bad, but it's like, I've necessarily had to cut down on like how much care I'm putting into certain relationships. And that's something that people don't necessarily always talk about. Like if I talk to you once every five months and you hit me up for emotional, like emotionally demanding advice, I can't necessarily always give that to you anymore. And I used to be able to. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the biggest toll that this is all taking on me is I feel like I've had to like prune it down if that makes sense to to conserve energy and mental health yeah yeah I mean just sorry just say absolutely if you don't mind just jump in here really quickly just to like uh you know add to what Alan was saying like as I this is sort of the perspective I'm coming to now at least as like a budding therapist is a therapist kind of has to like marry suffering Mm. right there's this there's it's like you you throughout your life you're going to just have this intimate relationship with suffering and you're going to hear some of the most like horrendous things right and the the beauty in it is that you know you're there as sort of this like angel in their hell and you're trying to like help them out of it which is awesome but again you know and this you know as a therapist you kind of have to what like alan says You've got to take care of yourself. Mm. You got to take care of yourself. And if that means like, like pulling back a little bit from like demanding things in like your everyday life, I think you kind of got to do that because your job is to be there for these people that are paying you money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and as somebody who's went to therapy, paying you guys a lot of money, first of all. <laughs> so I would um, say not nearly enough yeah. at some <laughs> Which is fair. Perspective is is a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, I, I mean, when you guys are seeing a client for the first time, what is that process like to um, 
approach like what they're going through. Like, I mean, for instance, I'm a podcaster. Um, when I am going to interview somebody, usually I have somewhat of a game plan, two or three bullet points of things I want to touch on. And then from then, and then from there, I kind of let my intuition, I let my research, I let who I am as a person take a little, you know, take me where I want to go using this guideline. How would you guys describe your, the process of seeing somebody and and what's that therapy process look like? I mean, that's huge. Like, like that intuition is also, also plays a massive role in therapy. Like it's, I think I like to view it as like a, a, like a structured dance. Mm -hmm. I know Alan likes to think of it in in terms of like jazz, (laughs) you know, and music, but I, I, I see it sort of like structured jazz where like you, you know, again, you learn, you know how to dance, but then, you know, you take it and you do sort of this impromptu, these impromptu motions as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, again, the process is like, there's a lot to it. you got to do consent. You have to like, there's a whole bunch of things and administrative things that you have to do. But, uh, you know, a lot of it is exploratory. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is sort of dancing with the client and, uh, and um, you know, exploring with them basically dude I, I mean before you answer alan i just want to say that's beautiful i think that that is such an <laughs> such a great way of thinking about it it's like a dance it's a little give a little take you know you might be leading but yet you're learning as you go i think that's great i think that's really cool it's a really good way to put it as well because it really just under underlines the fact that you don't really know what's going to happen um i know you're you're sort of asking specifically about like when you first start um mm-hmm. and I would, I would actually argue it goes on for literally every single session where you're seeing the client, you don't know what's happening. And that's, that is the beauty of it. I think it takes a certain type of person to get into therapy because you have to be okay with uncertainty. Um, Mm -hmm. I've had these discussions with so many of my friends where they say, just give me one, tell me one, pick one. Uh, Is it this or this? And I'm just (laughs) like, no, I'm not picking a single one. I'm going to stay right in the middle. I'm sitting on that fence and I love my spot looking mm. at both sides from from the fence sure it's uncomfortable <laughs> a little bit because the spikes are getting in my backside but uh, you know it has its beauty as well and so i think jeremy also said he he mentioned i like to look at it as jazz um it's i mean that's what uh, that's what i see jazz as so this is this talented musician who does so much hard work to learn everything you know all the scales you know all the greats now, once you get on stage and if there's a moment to riff, you're doing it and your soul is really informing what's coming out through mm. that riff and that solo. Uh, and that's ha- that happens often. That happened, um, and again, without going into too much detail, that went into, uh, happened in my session today. I had this game plan. I knew what I was going to do. Client comes mm. in and has something else on their mind. And I went, mm. oh, I literally will not be able to touch on anything that I prepared for for actually a week. So right. <laughs> there, there goes out, out the window. Here we go. Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. So basically for, for anybody who's listening, if you really want to throw your therapist a curveball, just completely different topics. <laughs> one session, Actually one tell session them what together. happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, what would you guys say? I know that therapy can be a very intimidating thing for some people. Um, I've talked to so many people in my life. Uh, I've had so many people reach out to me who I've talked about my therapy process. It's been an incredibly beneficial thing, um, but it took some trial and error, give or take. You know, I had to see a couple different therapists before I found the one. Uh, for those listening audibly, I'm using bunny ears here. Um, what would you guys say to people who are who are intimidated by the therapy process? Well, I like I like your point on like finding the one because th- I, I think that has to be emphasized. Like 
you know, it's the same thing with friendships. You're not just going to be friends with anybody you meet. You're going to be friends with the person that you connect with. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and therapy is kind of similar in a way you kind of have to have, like, there's the best friend and you kind of have to find your best therapist mm -hmm. in a way, you know what I mean? Where like, there is that like real authentic relationship. There's you guys kind of connect on like an emotional level on like all these different levels. And like, that's when like the magic of therapy emerges. I think when, when you find that, uh, that best therapist, as I call it, but, um, in the same way that like there's magic in a best friendship, right. It's, it's also, I really appreciate Kyle that you're saying that because it's, it's a, it's a part of it, the process that people actually just don't know. So they think, um, you know, I go in and, and if it doesn't work, then it wasn't for me. And I yeah. think that's actually, I think that's actually the mood with, I I'm going to throw out a random percentage, but like the majority, like 80%, 85% of people think that way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it's like Jeremy said, you really have to just kind of go and sometimes it takes like maybe five or six even which i thank uh, god for that first consultation session otherwise you'd be <laughs> paying a lot of money but the, i think <laughs> therapists usually give a free consultation session at the beginning um mm -hmm. and they say let's just see what happens and you can sort of kind of see what their temperament is if it's someone who's really like uppity right mm -hmm. and they just they just go did you do your homework did you do this oh, did you do god. this I'm having, I'm having war flashbacks. <laughs> it's like, well, I mean, that's probably going to work for a certain type of person who wants right. order and everything in their lives and wants to be told what to do. Whereas mm. some people are like, I don't get that sense with you. You kind of want this conversation. You want a good flowing thing where you kind of get out what's on your mind. They sort of even sometimes potentially say things that's happened in their lives. Yeah, yeah. They're a true, genuine person. Uh, you got to kind of like date, you know what I mean? So you got yeah, yeah. to go on these dates and, and see what happens until <laughs> you find your sort of long-term one. Mm -hmm. I always, uh, every therapist that I've ever, ever went to, um, this is from the time that I've been grade like six, seven, all the way up to university. I always asked every therapist why they wanted to become a therapist. Um, that was kind of like my you know like my like what star sign are you question on like a, on the first <laughs> on like the first date like that that was always just the kind of thing that like asking you know why do you want to get into therapy i want to know i want before i give you any intimate details about my life i want to know where you're at mm. and and for me like that was always kind of like how i how i would gauge it but yeah i mean definitely like i am so I'm such a proponent for, yeah, you do have to try a bunch of like therapies for everybody. You should do therapy just like you, you know, you would the dentist where it's like, you know, even if you're nothing wrong with your teeth, your teeth feel fine. You're still going to go in for a biannual checkup, you know, kind of just make sure nothing's really, you know, weighing heavy on your mind. There aren't any unhealthy patterns that are developing, anything like that. Um, and then if you do have a toothache or a cavity or something like that, you're going to go more often. Um, and so that's always the way that I've approached. And I think it also makes it a little bit more understandable for people because I think too, and this is what I've seen, uh, people who are a little bit older as well. I feel like therapy is becoming a lot more of a normalized thing, uh, among Gen Z millennials. However, with this older generation, uh, our parents, our grandparents, therapy was something that was not only, you know, kind of frowned upon a little bit, but it was really seen as this, I, I, to me, it was seen as it what I've seen is it was this big extreme thing. Um, and so I would kind of say like people who are 
who don't want to necessarily go because they think it might be admitting that something's wrong with them. And that's a scary thing to think that who they are is flawed. I mean, would you guys be able to touch on that mindset at all? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something that I'm, like you said, I'm, I'm taking a lot of heart out of seeing it slowly change Mm. Um, slowly, very slowly, but surely I think necessarily, but you know, it's hard to move away. I always like to imagine myself being sort of 50 and having to listen to the music of the time then. And that's how I like to sort of uh, put it in my head. And already I'm an, I'm an old man. I'll hear something and I'll be like, oh, what is this? this isn't music. <laughs> yeah. Like, and it happens a lot, um, way more than my other friends. So it doesn't bode well, but I try to keep open-minded. Uh, but that's the sort of thing that you gotta you gotta kind of go for with uh, with the older crowd as well. Like you gotta realize that to them it was like if you went to therapy you were crazy, and that's mm-hmm. it. You were just crazy, like and that's what they called it. You were either crazy or insane, and you deserve to be in an asylum. We have moved past that. Um, a good chunk of us, at least the mm-hmm. people that are our age brackets, are Gen Z millennials, and they know that it's exactly like you said. It's like a dentist. Um, if it hurts, you go in, you're not going to be like, well, but what if someone sees me entering the, uh, <laughs> the you know, the office, complex? Yeah. And what if they see me come out with like my little goodie bag with my <laughs> toothbrush and everything? Right. That doesn't happen. And so it shouldn't happen here as well. But there's still, there's still such hush, hush. And I guess, I mean, that's a huge point of your podcast as, as a whole, which is, which is really good is to like normalize it uh, and continue to do so, especially even for, for guys. Mm-hmm. because yeah. I see it a lot more with with guys honestly than I do with uh with girls girls seem to be okay with saying yeah I mean I I did I just went or whatever yeah. and everyone yeah, goes yeah. yeah okay that was another appointment in the day whereas guys sort of like look behind them you know what I mean and they yeah, like yeah, check yeah. the premises to They've see got if... like the the collar pop the yeah. <laughs> and then they're like yes yeah, so I saw my therapist today and it's like oh oh <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you would hope that it becomes more normal as, as time goes by. That's all I can really say about that. Yeah, I would, I would, I would, I totally agree with what Alan's saying. And, uh, again, I'm like, just want to speak to the fact that I think it's becoming more understandable in, in, you know, Gen Z and, you know, with the millennials and everything that like, you know, life can just be hard Mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean you're disordered. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It's just life is difficult in and. Uh, I would say there there should be an opportunity for people to uh, you know uh, meet with someone and and deal with uh, the struggles of life uh, without being you know judged or labeled as disordered. Mm-hmm. So I think that you know it's I think it's a fantastic thing that that's becoming sort of like uh, the the normal the norm. Yeah, it's a, I and I certainly hope it will continue to to do that. Um, I know it is one of those things where I actually I had a conversation the other day with um, the Canadian Mental Health Association's New Brunswick chapter. Uh, we had talked, um, and they're gonna they're gonna do some work with the podcast. I'm gonna do some work with them, which is amazing, uh, and I'm super excited about that. Um, and they were talking about how normalizing it within young men, uh, you know, this conversation going to therapy is interesting, like is, is important, but I found it interesting in just kind of thinking about, man, if I was 50 and saw my podcast, I would hate it. 
Because, like, I would be like, what, who is this foul-mouthed maritimer mm. talking about therapy and all, and, and, you know, masculinity and all of these, these things that were so, like, ingrained for so long in, in their minds? I mean, I guess, like, I, and I don't know if this is even the question for, for this group. I mean, we're four guys, or three guys in our 20s. Um, like, you know, how, how do you guys see or how have you seen people go about introducing like those that older generation to therapy i know that that's kind of a very similar question to to what we just went over but if you guys were let's say going to put like guide your parents or your Mm -hmm. grandparents to therapy knowing what you know from a clinical standpoint how do you think you would do that because i know that there are a lot of people who they are kids who have dealt with their parents having unresolved trauma, whether it's from their grandparents or whatnot. And they would love to be able to say, Hey mom or Hey dad or uncle or grandma or whatever. I think that you should go to therapy, but they don't want it to come off as, as harsh or judgmental. So, you know, how would you guys go about that? That is a great question and not something that I've pondered to, uh <laughs> too much to be honest with you but it's it's a great question like i think it's important for the younger generation to sort of introduce these concepts and these ideas uh to the to the older generation whether that be their parents or their grandparents um how to go about doing that is certainly a challenge mm-hmm. and I, I i'm not sure if i can like provide any any like specific like ways of doing that again because everyone's parents are different yeah. and everyone's grandparents are different. And uh, I, I mean, I'm not sure maybe it, let me, let me throw this one to Alan. Cause I, I'm not sure to be honest with There's you. There's so many different aspects to it though. Right. Like I think um, the personality aspects of like the, the parents, like Jeremy said, mm-hmm. are, are key or, or the adults will say. Um, but I mean, you got to think about so many different aspects. Like culture uh, is a huge thing uh, yeah. that I think comes in. Uh, I know certain cultures and I know this from personal experience and from having talked to friends, it's certain cultures, it's way more frowned upon Mm -hmm. than it would be uh, in any other ones. Um, But it's like, how would you do it? Would, would a nice video help like a nice, like a kind of a, Hey, this is your first day in therapy, sort of like video. Mm -hmm. Uh, What about a book or Mm -hmm. something that has a nice, I think analogies are super important. um, Always the dentist thing always comes up and you've got to have a nice analogy and a metaphor uh, that you can throw to someone because nothing is more transformative in the moment for and helpful to understanding than a metaphor or an analogy. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you hit the right one and they go, ah, it really is like that, isn't it? That does uh, way better than about 15 hours of statistical or scientific information and explanation. So Mm -hmm. if this, if the dentist thing you find works and there's problems with that, because as we discussed, the dating aspect is there to therapists and that's always a setback. But if you find the right analogy, I think you're golden. What that is, I haven't really found. Uh, I've been blessed enough to have like open discussions uh, with my parents, but that doesn't, that doesn't, you know, get rid of the fact that we do need to have something and, Unfortunately, I think it's something that each person has to find for themselves, for their situation. Yeah. Yeah. It is one of those things. And I notice this with the podcast a lot. Um, 
and, and again with therapy with everything it's like there's no there there's no fixing there's no it's it's just kind of like a lot of shared experience a lot of empathy a lot of like really connecting with each other and that's the biggest thing and then from there you start to see some some progress and some steps being made because you know things don't aren't as scary when you're not alone in the the feelings or when those feelings finally get validated so i think that that's that's great um i do have one last question to ask you guys if you guys still have the time (laughs) yeah amazing um with anybody that i have on the podcast i like to uh, give my listeners a challenge um something basically that through your lived experience your clinical experience your education um something that they can implement into their their day their week their month their life something that can help them whether it might be start therapy or just kind of go on and start this healthier lifestyle or start down their mental health journey um if you guys were going to put forth a challenge what would it be i'll uh if if you're good i'll start with jeremy sure yeah something just popped in my mind and it's something that through the process of like you know getting my first clients and like actually, you know, engaging in the process of becoming a therapist, it's transformed me a lot, which is try empathy, Mm. right? I challenge you to try empathy and what that is. I mean, you know, there's a lot of definitions. There's a lot of conceptualizations of what empathy is in the the psychological arena, but it can be boiled down simply to try to understand the other person's perspective, Mm. really sit down and try to understand the other person's perspective, whether that's, you know, your family members or your friends or someone you don't like or your professors or your your boss, anybody, try to listen to them and try to understand their perspective. And I think, uh, you know, that would be the challenge I, I pose to your listeners. I love that. That's really oh. nice. Um, well, first of all, that's an amazing one. So I, I give all of my support to that one. But there's one that's more personal. And I mean, any of our friends who are listening to this will groan immediately because I'm about to shill shamelessly. But um, I already know what know it is. What it is. <laughs> um, it's to read fiction. It's to read mm. fiction, at least a little bit. Um, not every single day, if you don't want to, that's what I challenge. But <laughs> do at least maybe five or 10 pages. And I mean fiction, I don't mean nonfiction, because nonfiction is nice, and it teaches you a lot of things. But fiction is the one that does all the work underground and it introduces you to so many perspectives about the human condition. And, you know, before entering the clinical psychology program, program, I remember asking my supervisor, how do I prep? And she said, just keep reading fiction. And that that was something that I was already doing at that point. And it was like, oh, that's so I get to keep doing what I love because nothing will take you to 18th century France to understand that person's toil and to like, you know, 20th century South Africa, you yeah. won't understand more about the human condition as a whole, unless you read. And that's something that it's dying out. And uh, it's something that all therapists are encouraged to do. I don't know how many actually do it. But, uh, you know, Jeremy and I try to. Uh, but I would say that's probably the most important thing to try to understand how humans suffer, how humans get better, and how our relationship is all we have. Uh, and to sort of encourage the growth of love wow guys two unreal challenges that's like i i really appreciate that thank you um the challenges is, is something that uh is definitely really special to me so i i know that this is something that i would always kind of give myself challenges when i was going through those like dark spots if it was just like hey 
you know, get out of bed and do one thing today. Uh, like, but like do that for a week. And then all of a sudden it kind of, you build a, a lifestyle around it and things got a lot better. So I always try to try to put that forward. I think, uh, you know, who you guys are as, as people and as therapists, I think you guys are going to be incredible in that field and make people feel very comfortable and, and, you know, relate to, to who they are as people and what they've been through in this, uh, you know, shared 21st century. So yeah, I just, and I really appreciate you guys reaching out and, uh, and coming on. And this has been, trust me, I, I only wrote down like a couple of questions. I just, I love, you know, it's cool to talk shop with guys who know so much more than me. I love that. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate it. And, uh, and yeah, all the best guys really. Thanks for having us on, man. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, dude, you've been a fantastic host. I love what you're doing here. And, uh, you know, you took my podcast virginity. So. Hey, <laughs> that's, Thank that's you. That's going up on my wall. <laughs> possibly, possibly Tinder bio, but we'll, nice. we'll discuss that. Yes, dude. Just the boys talking about therapy. Just phenomenal. I don't know how we're going to do it, but somehow, somehow, Life's Wreck is going to make therapy sexy. Okay, see, the fact that you said that, I have I have my doubts. Don't know if you're the guy to make it happen, but I, I like where your head's at. I like where your head's at, big guy. You going to, uh, do you want to give your take on the episode? Nah, man, I'm good. Come on, I know you want to do this. It's like your thing, you know, you make fun of me, then you hop onto some real profound shit about the episode, and, and I'm always like, wow, man, that's great. So, please. Yeah, but it makes you happy when I do that, so... I, I just don't want to. Okay, man. Yeah, no problem. Uh, you know, I'll just wrap it up. Uh, guys, thanks for okay, tuning in. Okay, fine. Okay, so so first of all, the amount of times in my life that I've heard people be like, therapy's not for me. You know, that BS. Like, first of all, it is. Go to therapy. It is not one size fits all. You do have to try a bunch of different therapists before you find, like we talked about in the episode, the one. But like, I, I love the fact that just who these guys are young excited fun men pursuing clinical psychology and just talk to them you know how much they love it like they're inviting and just great to be around and more than anything they're the same guys like you said that you'd be grabbing beers with if you were back in toronto those guys are the future of psychology and that gives me hope that like not only will we continue to normalize therapy but people will literally be like holy shit i see myself in these guys i don't know why i was ever like therapy's not for me and boom goes the dynamite you're welcome bravo good stuff man yeah yeah i do love that stuff i can't lie you're good at it you know what i i'm in a really good mood today as well we're good at it you know what? that's a good note to leave on um just unreal episode i'm buzzing right now um i'm just so stoked to get to have the guys on and um you know with that being said hey you yeah you uh you know who's who's still listening first of all why second of all Thank you. We love you. And third of all, life's a wreck. We'll see you in two weeks. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.